But uh, hey, you're in for an extremely amazing treat today uh, because you are going to get to hear from a guy named Greg Coverdale. Now, you don't know Greg. I know Greg. Greg is a friend of mine. Uh, he's been a worship pastor uh, at a church in New Bern. The church is called Two Rivers. He's, he was a worship pastor there for 12 years, and he felt like God was putting on his heart this nudge to do something different, something he had never done before, something that uh, scared the hell out of him. And uh, that thing was to start a church. And um, I knew Greg years and years ago. The first time I met Greg, um, he was in this band, the Dave McCants band, and they were rock stars uh, to me. And so you're going to hear from a rock star today. Greg plays bass. I don't know if he's as good as Matt over here on the bass. Can you give us something on the bass, Matt? Give us a little. There you go. But he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's still a rock star. But uh, he used that gift and, and talent to, to be a worship leader. And again, he, he just felt like just recently God has been putting something on his heart to do something he's never done before to push him outside of his comfort zone. And that's to start a brand new church. And... Uh, Last year, I was in this church planting cohort, this group of guys who would meet up every single week on Wednesday to go through this course on starting a church, going through all the things you need to know and do to, to start a church. And Greg joined our group, and he joined our group saying, hey, guys, I think God wants me to start a church, but I don't want to. So I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. And we're all like, you're going to do it. He was like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. And uh, all throughout, he was like, I don't want to do this. But Greg moved his family two hours away from New Bern to Durham, North, North Carolina, to begin the Durham Project, where he's launching a brand new church next year in the spring. And so, y'all give it up. That's Greg stepping out, doing something that's uncomfortable, something he doesn't want to do because God has called him to do it. How many of you know, I'm not just talking about Greg, but God is calling you to do something that's uncomfortable, that's difficult. I wonder who's the next church planter in here. And so you're going to get to hear from Greg because they're launching in spring, and between now and then, he doesn't have anything to do. So I said, hey, come preach for us. And uh, no, he has, he has plenty of stuff to do. But uh, Greg is going to come preach for us. You're going to hear an amazing word from Greg today. And so would you stand to your feet as we welcome the man of God to the stage to give us a word. Y'all make some noise for Greg Coverdale! Down. Hey, yeah. real quick, uh, so you can go ahead and take your seat. So, Greg, you're, you're starting a brand new church. We're a brand new church that launched in, in uh, March 20th yeah. of this year, and uh, it takes a lot to start a church, uh, but we want to be a church that helps other churches get started, and we also live with open hands. We want to be generous in all that we do, and so I asked you, what is a need that you have for this new church that you're starting? And you're like, I don't know. I'll tell you later. <laughs> I was like, I need to know now. So since there's not an immediate need, I don't want to give you a gift like, you know, on Christmas you sure. get a shirt and you're like, I'm never going to wear this, or right. you get some crappy gift that you don't want. Money is always good. And so what we're going to do as a church is we're going to give uh, – your new project, the Durham Project, $1,000 so that so that we can help kickstart the work that you're doing in Durham. Thanks. So there you go, man. Now preach for us. <laughs> Y'all give it up for Greg. Uh, let me just say that... Um, 
James, James understands this. As part of planting a church, one of the things you have to do, like, I don't have this hat, but you have to fundraise. It is the most humbling thing that you have to go and do is ask people for finances to do this. Um, and for a young church plant to come out of pocket to help my church, it's, it means a lot. I'm sorry. It, it makes, every time, I'm not kidding. It's very emotional for me. I'm not like, dude, the first time I did, like my very first gift, like I sat on the phone with a guy who used to be an elder in another church and he's like, hey, Greg, we're going to give you this much money up front and then we're going to do this. Dude, for like five minutes, I couldn't stop because it was the first time I've experienced it. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Man, um, can, real quick story about James, real quick. I've, like James said, I've known him for a long time. Um, I actually, I think about, um, about 13 years ago, I had to come to you. Do you remember this? You were working at the offices over at, um, at the other church you were working at before you planted, your, um, planted the first church um, over at Forefront. And um, I met James first off when he was at camp, and he was a high school student. And this dude's talented. I don't know if you know this or not. This guy's multifaceted. He's super talented. At the time, he was very big into, like, a music career and, like, get, wanting to do a, a particular style of music was in the hip-hop. And being able to, like, do, um, spread the gospel through that. And, like, we did something at camp. He was doing something at camp. And I, I think I, we tried to, like come alongside. I think we messed it up, and he doesn't remember it, but I had to go to him and ask for forgiveness because I felt awful about that. I really did. And then when, and then I'd follow James on social media, and then all of a sudden, this guy's doing like graffiti work, graffiti paint. I was like, what is this guy? What can't he do? Like, and I'm super jealous. Like, dude, that's super awesome that he's like music and like, and does art and just creative, but he's also put together much different than me. He's, he's very put together and organized, and I love that about him. I am not. I'm very much like big picture, like relational. I love that stuff, and I appreciate James for that. Let me just say this one last thing before I jump in, because I'm, I'm on a limited time. Um, James, Irene, and their family, they love you. They love you. Um, and they love Jesus. And they want to do great things in this community. And I know that they love you because this is their heart and their passion. And this is what they do. This is what they pour their life and their family into. Jesus first, their family, and this church. And so they love you. Uh, let me encourage you to do this. Love on them. It's, this, is always, this isn't always easy. Um, love on them uh, as much as you can and pour into them. I'm going to move this a little bit because I'm not as cool as James. Um, and I got to have this a little bit closer. Hey, so I'm not, I'm just not. Hey, I want to share with you guys from, uh, from God's word this morning. We're going to be in the, um, in the book of Proverbs this morning. And I want to talk about this idea of wisdom, not just for today, not just for you, but wisdom for generations to come. Proverbs 22 verses 1 through 6 says this, if you want to follow along with me, it's up on the screen too. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Humility is the fear of the Lord's. Its wages are riches and honor and life. In paths of wickedness and snares and pitfalls, but those who persevere their life stay far away from them. Start children off in the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will, re they will not turn from it. 
I want to share a snippet of you, uh, a little snippet uh, about my life with you this morning. When I was a kid, uh, my, my dad was in the, in the military, so we traveled all over the place. But we went home to um, his parents' house. They live in Pittsburgh. Uh, and so my Grandpa Bud and Grammy Elaine, we spent some time with them. Uh, might have been over Christmas. And one night, I re- remember this, we would sit around the table. Grandma would make her, her special brownies. I don't know what it is about Grandma's brownies. They were just a box of Pillsbury brownies. That's all they were. But she would put like, she would put like powdered sugar over top of them. But they were the best brownies. I'm not saying they were like grandma's brownies, but they were like the best brownies ever. I don't know what, you know, okay. We, li- we are in Virginia. So, um, <laughs> so uh, I think there's a song about that too somewhere. Um, but so I remember that we were sitting down after dinner having dessert, and my grandfather sat me and my sister down. At the time, my brother was, uh, he was about um, probably four or five, really didn't understand. Um, I was 12, my sister was probably 13, 14, and, and my grandfather says this to us. He says, the Coverdale family name is a good name. It has good standing in the community. Nobody from this part of the Coverdale family has ever been in jail or in trouble with the law, and they are a good people, Right? And then he says this to a 10 or 12-year-old, something like 12-year-old. He said, it's your job to carry it on. That's a huge weight for a 12-year-old to say, I have a family name that I have to uphold and keep good and keep a good standing in the community. That story has stuck with me. It's still as vivid today as it was when I sat at the table across from my grandpa Bud and he told us the story. When, when I read through the beginning of Proverbs 22, this, this story instantly just popped into my head, this experience from my childhood. Has, has anybody interested in genealogy? Has anybody, like, gone and they've, they've taken, they've tracked their family for a little bit, right? And you, because you want to find out where you're from. Where, who's, who, who do you come from? What, is, what does your past look like? What do those, those people look like? So, um, I haven't had a whole lot of time to do that, but there is somebody in my family on my grandmother's side, on my great grandma Elaine, same, same side, who they have taken time to, to invest in our family. And so um, each year they have a um, they have a get together. We're invited. I don't I don't know any of them. I don't know if I would ever go. It's kind of awkward. Like, hey, we're from here, and uh, we don't know you. I'm sure they would be welcoming, but um, they they send out an email, and it's this list of all the people who are still uh, in the family, those who have passed away, those who have gone before us. And it's really cool because they've found all of these diaries and these pictures of people from our past. I wanted to share with you one of the entries from the diary. This is amazing. This is George Lippert. He's like a great, great, great grandfather of mine. And, and you can see this, this stuff is from like the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s. It says, uh, yeah, in the 19th annual reunion of the Glider family uh, was held um, at the home of Grandma Glider, August 23rd, 1919. That's amazing. I mean, it just talks about how they got together um, and all the things that they did. Um, uh, the officers of this year were, were elected and appointed. This is crazy. Isn't there another one too? This is amazing. Look at this. Now, th- they didn't type this. This was handwritten. Somebody went back and did this. April 23rd, today... I put crack filler in the dining room floor and did general housework. Anybody else put crack filler in their dining room? No? No? Okay. All right. I get it. All right. It's very late again. Dr. Uh, Fervor is very ill. Harriet Clark has visited Hazel today. 
very, on April 4th, the next day, a very pleasant, um, uh, I ironed and did general housework. <laughs> I don't even iron that much anymore. Neither do I. Anybody iron? No, you just send it out. Okay, that's what we do, right? Um, Euphrasia went on, a five, uh, went on the five train to Elyria, Elyria, Ohio, by the way. That's where they're from. To see Hazel. And they're going shopping tomorrow. For, for, her, for, for her, her, her commencement clothes. Amazing. Like, just a glimpse into their life. And I have pictures of, like, horse and buggies and where they live, and they're all from up in Ohio. But these are the people from my past. These are the people of where I'm from and what they were doing. A good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed better than silver and gold. Yeah, I, I don't know about your family's history. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your life experiences are, if they're good or if they're bad, or uh, if you've had to go through trials or, or, or you haven't had to experience those things. But I wanted, you to, I wanted to, to encourage you this, to maybe think about honoring those people in your past. I know that's really easy for me to say and a difficult thing to do because I don't know your past. I don't know your family. Maybe there is past hurt in your family. Maybe there is things that in your life that you are reeling from, that you are having to struggle with, that you are wrestling with because something or somebody in your past did something to you or did something to somebody in your family that affected you directly. And it's, I know I get it's real easy for me to say, maybe you need to honor those people from your past. Maybe they don't deserve the honor. Maybe they don't deserve that recognition at all. Another reason in this is this, is that in this process, maybe, maybe you will get to be the generation that begins healing. So, you know, studies have shown that, that it takes multiple generations of people to heal from past family hurt and trauma. You know, nowadays we have the ability of, of counselors and therapists, and we've done studies and we, we've, we are still trying to figure out and continue to help people to work through those traumas in their life. You know, there's an example in the Old Testament of the effects of ancestors and how it had lasting effects on generations to come. Um, there was this, this, this guy by the name of King Manasseh of Judah, and he was one of the worst kings that's recorded. He rebelled against the Lord. He worshiped pagan gods. He brought pagan worship into the temple. He even went as far as sacrificing his own son to the Canaanite god, Molech. And he led people further and further away from God while trying to say that he was the king that, that, that was going to serve God. So he was saying one thing on one hand and doing another thing on the other. You can't do both. And because of Manasseh's decision to not follow God and to lead people away from him, it had long-lasting effects on those people. 2 Kings um, 24 three through, through 4, the effects of his leading were blamed on Jerusalem's fall of the Babylonians almost 100 years later. So what he did had an effect on those who, who were living 100 years later from him. But what we know is this. This is not the end of the Hebrew history. Good kings came after him. And the people were led back to God. But as you read more and more about this, you'll find that it took generations to heal from one person's decisions and one person's poor leadings. Proverbs 22, 2 through 6 says this, The rich and poor 
have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. What if the writer is really not talking about money? What if in this case the writer is saying that no matter who you are, or no matter uh, who your family is, you are still a creation of God. You are still important. You still have purpose. God knit you together and purposed your life. And you have value and worth that is far greater than the world could ever give you. Verse 3, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Has anybody ever been warned by your parents like, hey, don't do this? Don't, hey, look, don't stick the fork in the light socket. Don't, hey, don't play. I have a scar on the inside of my thigh where as a kid I had, um, back in the day they had drills that weren't like motorized kids. Um, and they had like this, this crank drill. You know, like, and so it was like my dad was out doing something and I had it and I put it on my leg. I have a scar on my leg where I put the drill. Like, you know, like dumb. Like what? What are you doing? You know, we'd, sometimes we don't always take the heed and listen to our parents. You know, sometimes we do what we want to do. You know, um, don't we want the best things for our kids? That's why we tell them, like, don't do this, because we want good things for them. Sometimes our kids need to have a place of refuge, right? That's, our, that's, that's where us as, as parents and families and as a church need to be. We need to be a place of refuge for our kids. When we don't, right, there's consequences for actions, things that happen because of the choices that we make. Verse 4, humility is the fear of the Lord, and its wages are riches, and they honor life. Hey, kids, any of the kids in here? Hey, listen. Hey, I got a secret for you. Parents, you don't have to listen to this. Listen to this. <laughs> parents don't know everything. We get stuff wrong. Like, we make mistakes, right, parents? Like, I, I oh, golly, I want to be the best parent ever. But I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. We know that we don't do everything right, and that we're going to make mistakes. But you need to know this. We need to be humble enough to admit it. And to seek out something better, to do better, to know more. We can't just stay there in that place and say, oh, you know, I made a mistake, and do the same mistake again. That's silly. Do better, know better, train better. And the paths of wicked are snares and pitfalls, and those who would persevere in their life stray far from it. Man, we know that too, right? Things that we get caught up in. Verse 6, start children off in the way that they should go. Even when they are old, they will not turn from it. It goes right back to verse 5. There are things in our life that we get caught up in, but if we train up their children well, they will return to it, even when they make their own decisions. If we are going to be a, a culture of faith and of love that loves Jesus, that is going to make an effect in our community, it has to start in our home. And the church has to come together for one another to encourage that in our families. And if we want a children that love Jesus, we have to teach them about who Jesus is and how to love Jesus and how to love your community and to do it well. We have to exemplify for you that what it means to love Jesus. How do we raise a generation of young people that love Jesus and will cultivate a culture of lasting faith? Well, I don't know if I have all the answers. In fact, I can guarantee you I don't. I'm not a very smart person. But I want to give us maybe four different ideas that maybe we can build upon and maybe you as a church can build upon. 
So here's the first one. We need to raise our child, our children with direction. Now, I get some of you in here in the room are like, we don't have kids. Like, I'm not even close to having, I don't even know if I want to be married. I get that. I get that. But maybe put this into a mental note in the back and be like, oh, yeah, maybe we can use some of this later. Or maybe I can serve kids in my church. Or maybe as a family, we can come together and help another family and help. First one, let's raise our kids with directions. As parents, adults, mentors, leaders, it is our job to guide our kids. Verse 6 says, start off the children in the way they should go. And even when they're old and far, they will never stray from it. A few years ago... um, even stretching into today, there was this cultural trend within our, within our communities and within our, our culture that we would allow kids to go and they would make their own decisions and they can do, live life however they want. If they wanted to stay up late at night playing video games, eating Doritos and drinking Pepsi, like, fantastic, that's great, what a, what a wonderful decision you made. And we celebrate that thing, yeah, absolutely. Or if they make a choice to like, hey, I don't want to go to school today. Or I really don't want to do what my parents say, so I get to do whatever I want. For some reason, we thought as parents, like, this was going to be a good idea. It's turned out disastrous. For some reason, our culture is still allowing that to happen. It's going to be disastrous. We might not see all of the effects of it right now, but I promise you, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to see the effects of it. Here's the problem with that line of thinking. Kids and, choice, kids and teens make bad decisions. Right? We do. We do. Uh, adults, we make bad choices too. But kids, like, they just make bad choices. My daughters, I, I've got three daughters. They're all super awesome. I have a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 9-year-old. For one year in my life, I have a 19-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 13-year-old in my house. All girls, I would lo- if you have an open room, let me know. <laughs> I might live with you for a year. Actually, no, I, that's a joke. I love my daughters. I love my daughters immensely. Um, but if I allowed them to make the choices that they would make, they wouldn't ever get any sleep. They would be unhealthy. They would eat junk food all the time. They would have cavities, like all of these things. And they wouldn't know how to make the right choices later on. Why do kids make bad decisions? Because they follow what they, what they think is most gratifying to them, what they want. Like this might be happy, but then you're like, my head hurts, my eyes hurt, like I don't know what's going on. I don't know what day, like just bad choices. You know, cake is good, right? Cake is good until it's not good. <laughs> Absolutely right. Cake is good until it's not good. Second Timothy 1 5 says, uh, Paul encourages Timothy to continue and persevere in the faith. I love the book of Timothy, such a practical, practical um, letter to an evangelist. He says this. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells within you. Do you see the lineage that took place? Because of his grandmother and his mother, his faith was poured into him, and Timothy became a great evangelist, right? It's a generational thing. So we need to raise our children with direction. We need to raise our children with purpose. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says this. This is by the way, this is one of my favorite. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed the man who is quiver, who is full of them. We won't go into that. You can use your imagination. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
When I was real young in youth ministry, one of my first jobs was at a small little church in rural North Carolina, eastern North Carolina, and the students there were really into like farming, hunting, fishing, things that I did not do, nor did I know anything about. But one of the students was getting ready for bow season. He's like, hey, Mr. Greg, come over to the house. I'll teach you how to shoot a bow. Never really shot a bow before except for in Boy Scouts. Like, no reason to. I was like, cool, not a problem. So I get there, and he's got this pole in the front of his yard. He's got a ladder going up to this thing, and then there's a chair up there. And he says, Mr. Greg, I want you to go up there. I'm like, I don't know if I want to go up there. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I want to go up there. I'm, like, I'm, I'm afraid of heights. Like, real, <laughs> legit. I have two fears, heights and sharks. Both irrational. I get it. That's why I don't surf. So, so he, says, he says, Mr. Greg, I want you to go up there. I want you to and shoot this bow. Well, it's like I've never really shot a compound bow before, and I've never really climbed up in a tree to shoot a bow. But I, I went up there and I did it, right? And so I got up there. He taught me how to do it. You know, you push and you pull at the same time so you can, you know, get, pull the arrow back. And then, you know, his, his was easy. He had a trigger on it. It was like, whatever, Robin Hood, you shouldn't use your fingers. All right, so... <laughs> Anyway, I say that in joke. If you hunt and you bow hunt, you're awesome. Don't shoot me. Um, so, uh, so I get up there and I do it. I'm starting to do it, but it's fun, you know. You know, just pulling arrows. It's loosed. That's what it's. That's the term called when you shoot an arrow. It's loosed. When you, when an arrow that is loose without purpose is useless and dangerous, and will miss its mark. Think about that. When someone shoots an arrow, there's an intended purpose. Whether it's to hit the center of a target or whether they're out hunting and they're trying to bring in meat or, uh, or game into the house, right? It has a purpose. It's supposed to hit its mark. When an arrow is misused or when it's not pointed in the proper direction, that arrow has lost its purpose and it will not hit what it's intended, its intended target and it becomes dangerous. It's the same thing with our kids and with our generations. If we do not raise our kids with a purpose, if we do not instill in our generations a purpose, it becomes dangerous. It will not hit the mark that it's intended to be hit. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. I want you to understand this and hear this. Did you, did you hear as, as David wrote this, this beautiful poem? Who is God? Well, God is a God of purpose. And he is a creator God. He is purposeful. He knit you together. He literally took time and purposed your life and put you together. And he's given you life. And he's created each one of you individually, purposefully, and gave you meaning and purpose. We live in a world. I mean, I posted something silly the other day on, a, on, a, on an Instagram thing about the universe. I love the universe and space. It blows my mind. And I said, oh my goodness, this is all really cool, except I can't handle the idea that we, like, we just are, are a mistake. We just popped up. And I put that. And somebody said, you are absolutely wrong. There's no meaning in life. Oh my goodness, that is so sad. God created you. You have meaning and purpose. The kingdom in our life, he has given you gifts and talents to do those things. You are purposed. Our children are purposed. And they have meaning. If we don't raise our children with purpose like a loosed arrow that has no target, our children are going to get lost. And they will miss the mark. 
or the target. And it can become a very dangerous and scary situation. I get this. Parents, I'm not, I'm not look, I'm a parent. I make mistakes all the time. And we know this, that we are going to do our best to raise our kids, but kids make their own choices sometimes, right? But what were we told in, uh, earlier? That if we raise them early in the Lord, what does, it ha- what, what does it say? When they get old, they won't turn from it. It's our job as parents to raise our kids in this way. We need to help our kids make good choices and to lead them in the love and the knowledge of God and of Jesus so, direction, purpose, and with boundaries. Proverbs 1.8 says, hmm. My son, listen to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Boundaries are good things. Boundaries are really good things, right? I, I, I'm a golfer. I enjoy playing golf. And anybody else a golfer? This morning? Yeah, absolutely right. So, I hit it out of bounds. I would miss distance. It's a penalty for out of bounds. Right, you know what I'm saying? But uh, you know, sometimes it's just what happens. Like I don't mean to go out of bounds. It's just how the ball came off my off the club face. It's where it ended up. And so, I, like I could either play by the rules and say, "All right, I'm going to take my penalty and go back," or I can cheat and like do a hand wedge back out. You know, we're in, into play, right? That's a play on words. Sand wedge, hand wedge. All right, so here we go. Um, when you have to explain a joke, it's not funny. <laughs> I'm trying to wrap this up. I just saw my time. Oh, dude, I'm so mad. All right, here we go. Um, all right, all right, here we go. So um, there are rules in our, in, our, in our world, and we need to teach our kids there are absolutes. There are rights and there are wrongs. There are yes, there is no. This whole idea of gray and doing whatever you like is dangerous. It really is. When leading our children, we need to set boundaries, and we need to help them understand that there are boundaries, and that when you go outside of those boundaries, there are consequences for those things. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. How many of you guys have ever heard this passage before? You guys ever heard that before? Right, spare spare the rod, you know, spoil the child, right? And when we talk about that, what do you normally think of? Spanking, right. I want you to think about this. Maybe instead, any time that you see a rod or a scepter or a staff in the Bible, do you know what it represents? It represents authority and power. So what if instead of thinking about spare the rod, spoil the child, meaning spanking, what if instead it means we, ta- we, we no longer show or have authority over our kids and we allow our kids to do whatever we want, right? We need to help them understand that there is authority, that it is our job to have that authority over them. So we need to be sure to teach them that there are absolute truths, both yeses and nos, and there's a right way and a wrong way, and those things have consequences. Boundaries are okay. They are good. Healthy boundaries create healthy lifestyles and healthy people. Psalms 25, 4 says, show me your ways, Lord, and teach me your paths. Super important to, to, to know those things, to know God's paths. Matthew 7, uh, 13 through 14, as Jesus talks about himself, he says, enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. Destruction. But narrow is the path, and small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to a life that only a few will find. Raise our kids within the boundaries. It's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to tell your kids no. 
So raise our kids with direction, purpose, boundaries, and most of all, love. I'll tell you what, if, if we have boundaries and we have direction and we, and we tell them they have purpose, but we don't do any of this with love, it's, it becomes this. It becomes a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. It becomes irritating. If you don't love your kids but tell them what to do, they're not going to listen anyways. All of these things are good when we do them, but we have to do them with love and compassion and forgiveness. You know, I, I, I wrestle with this with my daughters personally. My greatest fear is messing up my daughters. It's my greatest fear. It's so funny. Like, my, my, like, for real, like, my checking account is going to hate me in the future because I'm going to have to pay for counseling for all the things I did wrong and raising my kids. <laughs> but I texted them this recently. I said this. I know I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. And I know I do things wrong. But the one thing... I want to get right is that I want to raise my daughters to know and to love Jesus. That's the most important thing to me. I don't want to get that wrong. God loves his creation. Do you know how I know that? Because he set boundaries and direction and discipline. But he did all of this not because he is some overbearing God. It's because he loves you. I love my daughters. And we have rules in our house, like turn your stuff off, turn all the, all the technology off. It goes, put it away in my room. That's where it belongs at night. You don't get it at night. Do all the, brush your teeth, put on clothes, take a shower, all of these things, right? If I just let them do whatever they want, it would be terrible. They would be gross. They would be smelly. They, they just, all the things, a teenager, right? But I have to enforce these boundaries and hand out consequences. And I try to do it in love. Sometimes I'm frustrated and I do it out of anger. It's not my favorite part. Paul says this as a great example, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and, cannot, uh, and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge and I have the faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions and to the poor and give my body, body over to hardship that I may boast but have not love, I gain nothing. Important part is we do all of this in love. Direction, purpose, boundaries, love. If all of these things are done, like we said, maybe we have a great opportunity to change the generation and make an effect in the generation that is to come. It's time to stop taking our hands off the wheels and letting children decide where they're going and what they're going to do with their life. It is our job as adults to love Jesus and teach them what that means to love Jesus, it's our job, it's our duty, it's our responsibility to your generation to come. So this morning, I don't, I don't know where you are. I'm sure you probably have some sort of generational hurt in your life, and you're, trying, you're doing the best you can to overcome that personally and still make a lasting effect on your kids. Let me encourage you to do this. If you're not, find a counselor. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Not at all. You can be the one in your family line that begins generational healing. It's never too late. 
You can be a people that raises kids to love Jesus, to love their community, and to grow the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunities to come together and to worship you today. Lord, thank you for how you love us. Lord, thank you for how you have continued to grow us. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a generation at this time to create people in our world that continues the love of Jesus. Help us to be that people. Forgive us for when we fall short. Help us to not beat ourselves up. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for Jesus. And all these things we pray in his name. Amen.